Good morning. It's good to be in God's house. It is good to gather to worship our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Um, Just a couple of announcements as we begin. Elders, uh, we were scheduled to meet tomorrow. I don't have anything on the agenda, so we won't be meeting unless you all tell me differently after church. Um, So enjoy the evening. Also, new members class later in August, um, so please talk to me if you are interested. I've already talked to several of you, and thank you for that. Um, Are there any other announcements? If not, our call to worship comes from the book of Psalms. It is in Psalm 73, beginning in verse 21. When my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. Yet I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire beside you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Those who are far from you will perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell of all your deeds. Let us pray. God and Father above, we do thank you so much for the fact that when our heart is grieved and our spirit is embittered, even when we are senseless, ignorant, and like a beast before you, you are always with us. You are always holding us by our right hand. You are always guiding us and counseling us. And Lord, we are here today at your call, at your counsel, at your guidance to worship and to hear from you. Lord, who do we have beside you? Help us to to desire nothing on this earth besides you and help us to love you more and more. Lord, we are here to worship. We are here to pray. And we now pray as you have taught us. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. God is our only God. He is the only God there is. He is the God above all gods. Let us take Bible songs in our hand and turn to Bible song number 159. God, our only God. Let us stand and lift our voices, although quietly, but lift our voices in praise to God. Thank you. 
Please be seated. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 reminds us that we are surrounded by a cloud of witnesses, those faithful people mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11, and that we are called to run the race keeping our eyes upon Jesus. And that reminds us that oftentimes we seek to run the race by keeping our eyes upon ourselves or upon the things of this world. And so now let us confess and hear the prayer of confession. Lord Jesus Christ, fill us with your spirit today. We are running this race loaded down with sinful desires, idolatrous hearts, and mountains of guilt and shame that we pile on ourselves and each other. We confess to you that our frantic activity springs more from strategies of self-starvation than from real sorrow over sin and love for you. Our running takes us far away from the forgiveness, peace, and rest you freely give us. Train our hearts to run to you instead of away from you. Forgive us for all our desperate attempts to save ourselves. Fill us with your spirit so that we become preoccupied with his work and his presence. We are fascinated with our small lives and blind to your larger purposes. Send him to open our blind eyes and make us see your will, your heart, your beauty, and your glory. May he give us faith to see our names engraved on your hands, our souls redeemed by your blood, and our mountains of sin leveled by your life of pure obedience. Send your spirit as our comforter to cheer us in our sorrow and failure. Send him as a searcher of our hearts to show us our own deceitfulness and helplessness so that we will hate our sin, so that we will run to you, cling to you, and rest on you as the beginning and end of our salvation. Wonderful Savior, we long to worship you with pure hearts and lives, yet we cannot live without sinning. In this life, we will never escape our deep need for your mercy Help us to cherish it richly and transform us by it. May your love and kindness captivate our minds and imaginations, strengthen our weak faith, and motivate us to leave behind the sins that so easily entangle us. You have won the race for us. Now run it with us day by day, moment by moment, and fix our eyes on you instead of on ourselves. For yours is the majesty, the glory, and the kingdom forever and ever. Amen. And hear these words from assurance from Hebrews 10. Therefore, brothers, we have such, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. Amen. Our scripture reading today comes from the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 55, beginning in verse 1. We will read through verse 8. God is calling the people of Israel to come and feast at the table of his teaching. Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come, buy, and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread, and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good, and your soul will delight in the richest of fare. Give ear and come to me. Hear me that your soul may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you. My faithful love promised to David. See, I have made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander of the peoples. Surely you will summon nations you know not, and nations that do not know you will hasten to you. Because the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, for he has endowed you with splendor. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the evil man his thoughts. Let him turn to the Lord, and he will have mercy on him, and to our God, for he will freely pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. 
The grass withers, the flowers fail, but the word of our Lord stands forever. Now is the time that we consider what has been given to us by God and consider how we may return to him a portion as he has commanded us through the tithes and the offerings. We have a basket here in the front. We have a a plate in the back in the entryway. And we also, uh, you can mail in your tithes and offerings. Our God and Father above, we do await that time in world without end where we will worship you, where we will honor you face to face. Lord, what a wonderful hope that we have. And as we are here, we offer our meager worship in anxious anticipation of the time where we will see you and all of your blessings in full fruition. But now you have given us the task of sharing that hope with a world around us, a world darkened by sin, a world that chases after falsehood rather than your truth. And so we ask that you use what has been given today. We also ask that you use the breath that we have to share the glorious message of the hope that awaits those who love Jesus. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please remain standing. Um, Once again, in uh, a time of coronavirus, we will dispense with congregational requests. Um, Please turn to 276 in the hymn book, and we will sing, There is a Fountain. We'll sing the five verses.
Amen. Please be seated. God has seen fit throughout the history of the church to give us summaries of what the Bible teaches in confession form, in catechism form, and in creedal form. And so the summary of what we believe the Bible teaches, what we know the Bible teaches as found in the Apostles' Creed is what we will profess today as what we believe. So church, what do you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. As we approach God's throne in prayer, uh, I did talk to Kermit this week. He's doing a lot better. Um, Sounded more like Kermit uh, this week, so it was good to hear from him. He still has some recovery to go, so please be in prayer for that. Also, Libby... Um, is still recovering from her surgery as she had portions of her pancreas removed. And so please lift her up in your prayer. Um, I often forget our one of our shut-ins is Mike Fullen. So please remember to be praying for Mike as he is, uh, like many of our shut-ins, he is especially um, susceptible to this virus. So please be praying for him that he would be protected. And also... Uh, Tommy is doing well. I spoke to him this week, and he sends his greetings to the church, Tommy Oni. So are there any other updates or prayer requests? Oh, yeah, Sadie has a cracked rib and colitis, so um, please be praying for her. Um, and also for the Carter family, many of them will be traveling. They, they, the family was here for Michaela's memorial service yesterday. So any other updates or prayer requests? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. To the God and Father who resides on high, whose train of his robe fills the entirety of his throne room and whose glory fills the whole earth, we thank you that you have cleansed us, that you have taken that coal from the altar, placed it to our lips and have cleansed and redeemed us so that we might stand in your presence without fear of destruction without fear of judgment. Lord, help us to remember the glory of that truth. Help us to remember the reality that we deserve judgment in your presence that you have provided redemption and salvation. Help us to rejoice in that. Help us to feel the joy in this world, this world that seeks to take our joy. Help us to feel the joy of our redemption, the joy of that declaration that you have called us to be your children that you love us with a sanctifying, with a justifying, with a redeeming, and with an adopting love, that you have atoned once and for all for our sins so that we can know that they are paid for, so that we can know that we stand before you as your children. Disciplined at times, yes, but still loved, still seen as righteous before you, And still having the hope that is ours, that eternal life that is ours now, that we have the hope that we will see fully one day when our Lord and Savior returns. Lord, as we wander through this world, as we struggle oftentimes to walk in the difficulties of this world, whether it's hurricanes or viruses, natural disasters or man-made horrors, We know that you are sovereign and that we have the hope that we are merely strangers and aliens, pilgrims walking through a wilderness, awaiting that promised land that day when we enter the celestial city. 
the new heavens and the new earth where where moth and rust will no longer corrupt, where viruses will no longer ravage populations, where the illnesses of man will no longer hold their sway over us, where your glory will shine unmitigated and we will be able to see it and not be consumed. And Lord, we await that day, that most glorious day when temptation is no longer an issue for us, where we are no longer tempted to sin, where we no longer have desire to sin, where we can fully engage in the righteousness and the holiness that is ours now, and yet wars with our sinful influences, our fleshly nature that we are still affected by. Oh Lord, I long for the day when I am no longer tempted to turn my back on you, but can only but am only desire to worship you above all things. Lord, we lift up to you today these prayer requests. We thank you uh, for Kermit doing well and progressing in his healing. We ask for continued healing for him and strength for him as he seeks to get back to uh, some normal life after his back surgery. We do pray for Mike Fullen. We thank you that you have protected him so far from this virus, and we ask that you continue to do so. Protect Doug from the virus also, as Doug has to be out and about and yet still care for him. We pray for Libby and ask for healing and continued recovery from her surgery and for the next step in her uh, treatments for this cancer. We ask that you be in them also and give the doctors wisdom as she moves forward. Lord, we lift up the others on our list that are there. We think of Rosalie. We think of Jim. We think of Mariana. We think of the persecuted church around the world. We think of our church planters, specifically Nathan, there in Charlottesville. We pray for Mitchell as he prepares to enter service as a chaplain in the army. We ask protection for him and his family. We pray for the Mankins and others who are unable to be with us on a regular basis due to health or due to concerns with this virus. Lord, we come to this virus this COVID-19 virus, that it still seems to hold such a sway on our culture, on our country. Lord, we ask that you remind us that you are sovereign over the smallest of molecules. You are sovereign over viruses. And that this has not taken you by surprise. This will not diminish your glory in any way, shape, or form, that you are a God who will be glorified even through this virus. But help us to remember, Lord, in the time that you have given us of this virus, the things of which we need to repent. Many times we idolize things in our culture that are not you. We put our hope in them rather than in you. And Lord, those things have either been taken from us or have been shown to be foolish in our world. Lord, remind us that we worship you and you alone. That you will take the lampstand from us if we refuse to be faithful when you call us to repent. We've seen it in the history of our world and you have promised it in Scripture. Lord, help us to repent of our idols, of our false gods, that we try to add to Jesus and to the gospel as our means of salvation, our means of hope. Help us to put them aside and to rest in you and in you alone, to hope in you and in you alone, and to worship you and you alone. Drive us to repentance. Drive us to reconciliation with you. And Lord, make it so that we can meet together as the full family of God once again. Make it so that we can gather together without fear of a virus. Gather together without fear of singing out and praising you. 
gather together without fear of what our government will do if too many people show up to church. Lord, we love you. We desire to be near you. We desire to learn from you. We desire to worship you. Restore us to that worship once again. I pray this in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Please turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Proverbs. We are in Proverbs chapter 9 today. We will read all 18 verses and cover all 18 verses of chapter 9. Chapter 9 is a look back and a look forward. Um, What is called oftentimes a Janus passage. Janus was a Roman god who had a face in the front and a face in the back. Um, We get the word January from Janus. But a Janus passage in the scripture is a passage that looks back over what has already been taught and also looks forward to what is going to be taught in the next section or the next group of sections. And chapter nine is that way. Solomon is summarizing in poetic personified form what he has taught and introducing us to what he is going to teach throughout the rest of the book of Proverbs here in chapter nine. It is the close of his introductory matters to the book of Proverbs, which we find in the first nine chapters. And so listen as I read from God's word from Proverbs chapter nine. Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn out its seven pillars. She has prepared her meat and mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out her maids and she calls from the highest point of the city. Let all who are simple come in here. She says to those who lack judgment, come eat my food and drink the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and you will live. Walk in the way of understanding. Whoever corrects a mocker invites insult. (coughs) Excuse me. Excuse me. Whoever corrects a mocker invites insult. Whoever rebukes a wicked man incurs abuse. Do not rebuke a mocker or he will hate you. Rebuke a wise man and he will love you. Instruct a wise man and he will be wiser still. Teach a righteous man and he will add to his learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. For through me your days will be many and years will be added to your life. If you are wise, your wisdom will reward you. If you are a mocker, you alone will suffer. The woman folly is loud. She is undisciplined and without knowledge. She sits at the door of her house on a seat at the highest point of the city, calling out to those who pass by, who go straight on their way. Let all who are simple come in here. She says to those who lack judgment, stolen water is sweet. Food eaten in secret is delicious. But little do they know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of the grave. Let us pray. Our God and Father above, we do thank you for these words from Solomon. And as we study them today, as we study the competing invitations from Lady Folly and Lady Wisdom, we ask that you show us clearly the path ahead of us. Show us the things that you would have us know so that we can see the areas in our life where we are foolish and pursue the areas in our life where we should be wise. Open our eyes today so that we might see the glories of your word. Open my mouth so that I might profess and proclaim clearly what you would have, what the Holy Spirit can use to change the life of your people. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. When I was in seminary, I was introduced to what is called the slow food movement. At the time, I was told it was a new movement in relationship, in comparison, in contrast to the fast food movement. We are all very familiar with the fast food movement and our grandparents, our great grandparents and our great grandparents, great, great grandparents were familiar with the slow food movement. The slow food movement is really just kind of a hearkening back to the way we used to eat, a way we used to feast, a way we used to gather around the table. 
If you were to go to other countries and sit around a table, the way we eat would be odd to them. Food in other countries is something that is enjoyed slowly, is savored, is conversed over, not something to get through so that we can watch the movie or the television program or go hang out with our friends. But slow food is not just how we eat, it's how we prepare our food as well. In this time of pandemic, I have taken up sourdough bread. You cannot rush sourdough bread. It is something that must be done over a period of 24 to 36 hours. We have somebody in our congregation that makes excellent salt rising bread, which is not a process that goes quickly. It is not a process that can be rushed. It is a process that takes time. We contrast that with the fast food method, the microwave food movement, where everything is just ready for us immediately. There is no production effort on our behalf. We just show up at the grocery store or at the restaurant. We buy our stuff. Oftentimes, it's something where we just merely add water and eggs and oil and boom, there's a meal. Wisdom and folly are that way as well. Wisdom, her invitation is to the slow food movement where she prepares her meal over a period of time and it is to be savored and enjoyed over a long period of time and brings great benefit to those who partake. Whereas Lady Folly invites us to a fast food meal that we all know at the end will cause us great stomach discomfort. I joke around, there's a a very popular fast food restaurant that I joke around that I only go to once every six to eight months. Every six to eight months, I think, wow, I have not been to this restaurant in quite a while. So I go, and six to eight hours later, I'm reminded as to why I don't go to that restaurant very often. Lady Folly is like that. She invites us to this quick, falsely tasty meal that brings with it great difficulty. And then in the middle of these two invitations, we are given some teaching. And in the teaching we are told, and that is a theme for today, is that we are responsible for God to choose wisdom over folly, to choose God over our appetites. First, as we look at that, as we pursue that theme, I want us to look at the two invitations that we have here, the invitation from wisdom and the invitation from folly and to contrast them in their differences because they are set up very much in the same structure in their six verses. And in fact, they both have the same invitation. I don't know if you noticed in verse 4 and in verse 16, Verse 4, out of the lips of Lady Wisdom. Verse 16, out of the lips of Lady Folly. Are word for word the exact same invitation. Let all who are simple come in here. She says to those who lack judgment. The simple, remember, are the young men or young women who have been raised in a home where the parents have sought to teach them wisdom. And they are just now walking out the door beginning to make their own choices and they have before them the world, the choices of either folly or wisdom and they can follow one or the other. If they're not careful and they follow folly far enough down the way, they are then considered to be fools because they have begun to fully turn their back upon wisdom. Although the fool still has some opportunity to make the right choice and come back down the path toward wisdom. But if they go far enough, as we will see a little bit later today, they could become the mocker who has fully turned his or her back on wisdom and mocks mocks wisdom and mocks those who follow wisdom. But both ladies today are crying out to the simple, crying out to come in to the feast that I offer. And so let us compare and contrast the invitations that are here. The first comparison is between Lady Wisdom and Lady Folly themselves. Wisdom is presented as industrious and inviting. 
We're told that she has built her house. She has done the work to carve out the pillars, the seven pillars, the the house that is perfectly sized to hold all who are invited. It's a large house. It's a welcoming house. It's an inviting house. And wisdom has done the work to build the house. She has done the work to prepare her meal. We are told that she has prepared food. And the idea of the food that is given to us here is that that elegant banquet that is served, that has all the delicacies of the land there. She has mixed her wine. She has added spices to the wine so that it will taste better, be more palatable and bring more joy as it is imbibed. She is industrious. She is hardworking. She is personified later on again in chapter 31 of Proverbs as one who prepares and takes care of her children, of her husband. She is industrious. Lady Folly, on the other hand, is lazy. She has made a throne for herself outside of her door. And she is sitting there just yelling and screaming at whoever walks by. She is riotous like the drunk who is trying to be quiet, but can only yell. She sits on her throne. She yells at whoever walks by, not even bothering to get up and go to pursue the simple. The second comparison is between the meals presented. Wisdom fixes a luxurious feast. She has the dining room table all set up. She has the chairs and the silverware all there just ready to go in such a way that you know that you have entered into a feast that is something special. She lays out the appetizer, which is just that that perfect appetizer that's going to complement the rest of the meal. And then the, the main course comes. And it's, oh, it's heavenly in its taste. It's delightful to the tongue. Everything is there. It is an elegant feast. Oh, and then wait till dessert gets there. It is the pièce de résistance, that perfect dessert that just melts on the tongue and gives you that sense of, I have had a wonderful meal. Lady Folly, on the other hand, serves bread and water. And it's stolen from somebody else. In comparison to the fine meal that has been presented to us, we have a dried out fast food hamburger and a flat soda that she stole from somebody else presented as the, as the meal that she would have you eat. The third comparison is between how the people are invited. Wisdom sends out her maids. Her maids, as we look at the, what we have already read so far in the book of Proverbs, Her maids are those who work to teach wisdom. Lady Wisdom is the personification of what it is that Solomon is trying to teach his son. And who throughout the first eight chapters has Lady Wisdom used to teach? It is the father and the mother. It is the parents. Wisdom teaches and empowers people to teach and to invite others into Wisdom's feast, pastors, teachers, fathers, mothers, people who have been raised up by wisdom to teach wisdom. Folly, however, just hollers and screams. She sits and yells at anyone that walks by. The next comparison are the rewards, or excuse me, Hold on, I lost my track. Train of thought here, just a second. The next comparison is between uh, the people who are actually called. I'm sorry. <laughs> wisdom calls to wisdom calls the simple to wisdom. She calls the simple to come and eat and partake of the feast that she has laid out. Who does folly call to? She calls those. She calls out to those who are trying to walk in wisdom. And she calls them to folly. And then finally, the last comparison is the rewards offered. 
We've seen this already, and this reminds us to look back to what Solomon has already taught, that wisdom offers life. And she is very public about her offer of life. You know what you are getting when you sign. There is no small print. Everything is plain and clear. Follow wisdom and you will get life. But lady, follow folly offers death to those who follow her. But she hides that. You don't know until it's too late that you have taken steps into the grave. Tim Keller takes this picture here. And he reminds us that in our natural state, in our state of fallenness without Christ, we mix up the feasts. We see ladies' follies Lady Folly's feast as the elegant dinner. And we rush after it and we embrace it and we seek to be fulfilled by it, but it is stolen water. It is stale bread. And we are unfulfilled. But we still see it as a great feast, as an elegant feast, so we continue to rush after it thinking that the elegant feast of wisdom is actually the stale bread and the stolen water. We need the Holy Spirit to come in, to open our eyes, to enliven our heart. We need the work of the cross applied to our lives by the Holy Spirit so that we can then see the folly of what we are chasing after and the glory of the feast of wisdom. Ultimately, they both offer us the same thing. Do you want hope? Do you want salvation? Do you want redemption in this world? One will offer life if embraced. One will offer death if embraced. And yet the reality is, just like cooking dinner, it's easy for us to stop at the restaurant and pick up something on the way home than it is for us to go through the process of putting together or even showing up for the elegant feast. One brings death and one brings life. And we must choose. So we've compared the two invitations, these two competing invitations, one to an elegant banquet, one to stolen bread and water. And in the midst of this are six verses that really just kind of seem out of place, verses 7 through 9 and verses 10 through 11. Some commentators think that they have been kind of shoehorned in by a later editor. But they are a warning for us in the midst of these two invitations, but also a teaching for us. The first warning comes for us in verses 7 through 9. Whoever corrects a mocker invites insult. Whoever rebukes a wicked man and cures abuse... Do not rebuke a mocker or he will hate you. Rebuke a wise man and he will love you. Instruct a wise man and he will be wiser still. Teach a righteous man and he will add to his learning. The warning is here, if you come across a mocker, be careful if you try to teach him wisdom. Because he will not want to be taught and he will respond with violent words and abuse and hatred. Wisdom by its very nature, corrects. It shows improper, foolish actions and seeks to teach us how to walk wisely instead of foolishly. So the invitation of wisdom is that you are walking incorrectly in your life and you need to change how you walk. How does the mocker respond to that? With anger, with hatred, with insult. You've all known that person. That you try to seek to show them the folly of their ways. And all they do is respond with anger and yelling and screaming. But Solomon says, if you rebuke a wise man, he will not only love you, but he will seek more rebuke. Now, that sounds odd to us. None of us like to be rebuked. None of us like to be corrected. But if we are walking in wisdom, we will appreciate the people that God uses to show us the folly 
that we have. And the teaching hidden within this warning is, are you a mocker or are you a wise man? How do you react when somebody seeks to correct you or somebody seeks to invite you to wisdom's feast because you're on your way to follies? Do you react well? Or do you react with anger and with insult? Think about people in your life who react to correction. How do they react to correction? When I went to seminary, I thought I was a pretty smart guy, especially when it came to things of theology. I thought I had it all down. I'd grown up in a Reformed Presbyterian church. I'd sat under some of the the, the best teachers that are out there even today. I thought I had it all down. But I was confronted in my first class with how little I actually know. Honestly, I was confronted with the fact of how little I will ever know about the Scriptures and about God. And I had two ways that I could have reacted. I could have rejected the correction and rebuke and attacked my professors and fellow students who sought to teach me what I didn't know and how to learn these things. Or I could have humbly admitted my lack of wisdom and sought to grow in grace. The reality is, it probably landed somewhere in the middle. There are areas of my life where I am like the wise man, where I love correction and I want to be even more sanctified. But there are far too many areas in my life where I respond with anger and abuse and insult to people who try to correct me. Men, it's typically our wives. Wives is typically your husbands that you do not that you act as a mocker toward because we can get away with it there oftentimes where we can't in the rest of the world. But how do you act when corrected? How do you act when presented with a differing opinion on the state of the world? We don't like to have our opinions challenged, but Solomon warns us here that the sign of a mocker is one who responds to rebuke with insult. And then finally, Solomon summarizes his teaching in verses 10 through 12. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Hopefully you remember hearing that back in chapter 1, verse 7, as Solomon introduced his introduction to the book of Proverbs. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. We see two truths about God and two truths about our knowledge of God in this verse. The fear of the Lord is that awe-inspiring, that reverent obedience to God. But Lord, the word used translated Lord there is God's covenantal name, his relational name. It's the name that he gave to Moses when Moses said, who should I say is sending me? He says, the Lord, I am that I am or I will be who I will be is sending you. It's the word that God uses to refer to himself when he's being faithful to his covenant, even when his people are being faithless. It reminds us that God is God with us, that God is near to us. God seeks to be reconciled and in relationship with us. And it reminds us that our knowledge, the word knowledge, one half of the word knowledge is experiential knowledge. It reminds us that we should seek to know God in an experiential way. We should seek to be close to him. We should seek to feel his presence. We should seek to feel his love. We should seek to feel his discipline. Since he is God with us, we should seek to be near him. Since he is our God, we should seek to be his people. But he's also referred to as the Holy One. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Holy One, which we read also in the book of Isaiah today in our scripture reading, is a name of God that reminds us that He is different than us. He is transcendent over all things. Lest we are tempted to only consider God as someone who is close to us, we are reminded that He is the God who created the universe. He is the God who does not need us to be complete. He is complete within himself. He is the God who is infinite, eternal, and unchangeable. 
He is just. He is holy. He is truth. He is wisdom. He is all powerful. He knows all things. He is sovereign over all things from the largest of galaxies to the smallest of atomic particles. And as the Holy One, He cannot be in the presence of sin. Scripture is unflinching in presenting God as both the just, the one who must punish sin, and the justifier, the one who forgives and declares righteous sinners. Two realities that seem impossible to exist in the same being, in the same place, in the same time. On the one hand, He will punish sin. And on the other, He justifies those who sin against Him. He judges those who rebel and He welcomes the rebels as sons and daughters. And He calls us to be holy just as He is holy. And we can only do that through a mediator. One who took the punishment for sin so that we might have forgiveness. And so that the just and the justifier can be wrapped up in one God. And this reminds us, the other half of the word knowledge is that we must seek technical knowledge about God as well as experiential knowledge about God. How can we become more like God? How can we love Him more if we don't know anything about Him? If we don't study the Scripture, if we don't study godly men and women who have taught us about God based upon the Scriptures, how can we truly love Him? How can we truly experience Him if we don't know anything about Him? We must find a way to keep those things balanced. Experiential knowledge and technical knowledge. In the Reformed Presbyterian Church, we do a really good job with technical knowledge. We like our big words, most of us. We like those academic truths about God, and it's my temptation to lose the experience of God in the pursuit of the academic truth. In much of the rest of the American church, we put a premium on the experience of God without facing the fact that we need to know the God that we experience. And we need to know about Him. Our calling is to seek both. To seek to be near God, but also seek to know about Him. And as we know more about Him, we should desire to seek to be nearer to Him. Or, to put it another way, the more we love God, the more we should want to know about Him. The more we want to know about God, the more we should love Him. The more we love Him, the more we would want to know about God. On this hand, if your knowledge does not lead you to a greater love for God, your knowledge is an idol. On this hand, if your experience does not drive you to a greater knowledge of God, your experience is an idol. We must find the balance in both, the balance at the cross. And after calling us to know God, to base our search for wisdom on the fear of God, Solomon reminds us that there is a reward, a reward of life for those who pursue wisdom. But then he also reminds us in verse 12, if you are wise, your wisdom will reward you. If you are a mocker, you alone will suffer. Even though wisdom provides teachers, we will stand before God giving an account for how we chose on our own. I will give an extra account for how I taught. Did I teach you well? Did I teach you right? Was I humble in my teaching? But I will not be accountable for your choice between wisdom and folly. That is between you and between God. I will be rewarded for my choice or I will suffer for my choice. You will be rewarded for your choice or you will suffer for your choice. Ultimately, we are responsible before God for how we respond to wisdom or to folly. We are responsible before God as to how we respond to Him. Lady Wisdom is a personification of Solomon's wisdom teachings. And her invitation here to the meal 
looks back to all the things that Solomon has taught us. But the meal itself, the, the smorgasbord of delicacies, the buffet of the best, is the teachings that we will see moving forward in chapters 10 through 31, which will be summarized for us once again in that famous passage on the godly wife. But one day, we will give an account for whether we chose wisdom or whether we chose folly. On our own, will we chose the slow feast of learning wisdom that leads to life, or will we choose the fast food of folly that leads to death? Let us pray. Our God and Father above, we do thank you for the words of Solomon given to us here and the reminder of the foundation of wisdom. The foundation of wisdom is choosing to fear you. Choosing to seek to know you. Choosing to seek to follow you and to be close to you. Remind us to pursue wisdom and remind us that we will one day stand or fall based upon our choice. Remind us of the Savior who has walked the path for us so that we might be enlivened to choose well. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Our closing hymn today comes from the hymn book, Nearer My God to Thee, hymn number 326. Let us stand and profess that we should desire to be nearer to God as we know Him more. So let us stand and sing hymn 326.
As you go this week, as you seek to walk in wisdom rather than folly, take this blessing upon you, the, the love of God the Father, the grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Ghost be with you all. Amen.